Welcome back to another impactful night An impact to education leadership This is episode 171 I'm your host ID3 for Isaac Drone Third Tonight's parents are Cindy Roberts, Randy Boom Boom Blake Dr. Isaac Carrier and Buddy Thornton Plus social change agent pro Randy Boom Boom Blake Please say hello to the people Hello everyone And Sandy Roberts Please say hello to the people Hello people Welcome Welcome, welcome, welcome. And Buddy Thornton, Impossible Social Change Agent Pro. Please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody, and I am thrilled to be here with my And the one and only Dr. Isaac Carrier. Please say hello to the people. Good evening, good evening, good evening, everyone. I'm very, very happy and thankful to be here with you this evening. Listen, tonight, you want to share this episode with a friend, with a family member, with a student, with a teacher. Because t- tonight's topic is one that almost makes me cry when I resound it. When I resound this title, and that is, what's the worst thing you can do to someone that is suicidal? What's the worst thing you can do to someone that is suicidal? I'm going to go around the panel real quick before we get started. And I just want to ask the panelists, you know, what was the first thought that came to your mind when you heard the topic for the night? Buddy Thornton, what was the first thought that came to your mind, sir? This is a very, very good time to discuss this topic. We have had this on the, on the show three or four times in the past. And I really am thrilled to be on with Sandy Roberts, who is truly an expert in this field. And I believe that the message needs to be repeated as loudly and as often as necessary. So, yes, I'm thrilled about the topic, although I'm not thrilled about the topic, if you know what I mean. Yes, sir. And Sandy Roberts, what was your thought when you got the topic for the night, when you saw it? I'm always delighted when you share this type of information. It's so important and it matters and it really does save lives and that's what we need to do. Yes, we do. And Dr. Isaac Carrier, what was your first thought, sir, when you got the topic for the night? Uh, I, uh, for me, it, it really made me think about uh, my, my former students that were in crisis um, contemplating suicide, dealing with some very, very tough situations and um, how difficult it was. It was easy to be there for them, but being there for them uh, in a manner that was beneficial was was challenging um, because you 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 know you you don't always have the right words. Uh, sometimes the right people aren't always available and you have to be the one and so it really just made me think about some of my former students who have have dealt with um issues that that uh, made them at least contemplate suicide absolutely and randy boom boom blake what was your thoughts when you saw the topic for the night sir i mean just yeah just the word suicide or suicidal definitely puts you in a you know, a, a world of pain, hurt, you know, not not necessarily for myself, but I think that we all know somebody who's either dealing with or someone who has experienced some type of. And, uh, but, you know, we live in a world where we have podcasts and we can talk about these things. And so that part does excite me because, you know, as leaders, you know, we got to do these things because we are here to make a world a better place. So I'm excited and, 
let's get going Absolutely, let's get going Well, my thoughts And I, I never do this But I'm going to do it tonight My thoughts when I got the topic Was I thought about PTSD Because I'm I'm a veteran I was in the military And we dealt with suicide In our regiments In our battalions In our platoons More than too often I, I thought about flashbacks That that occur And this preludes to Suicide attempts I also thought about the nightmares, the insomnia, not being able to sleep. I thought about not being able to eat. I thought about not being a conscious of your hygiene, like simple things like brushing your teeth or, or washing up. These were all the signs. These were all the signs from the triggers of suicide and this repetition of the trauma that constantly, constantly rotate. In, in your mind those people that have been traumatized and I thought about how your, your physical appearance could, could change and not you know taking care of your health and stuff like that but let me go around the panel real quick because before we get into this topic this topic is, is scary but we have so many bold people tonight um, but I want to just I want to I kind of flow into this a little bit more. And before we get into the topic, let's go around the horn real quick. Go around the panel and just see what everyone is doing currently. Let's start with Dr. Isaac Carrier. What you got going on currently, sir? Let's talk about it. Ooh, the question is, what don't I have going on? Um, I am currently the Officer of Certification and Partnerships at the Harris County Department of Education. Uh, it's a new... Uh, new department in the Center for Educator Success. Our main uh, aim is to uh, really to rethink. We've rethought how we go about uh, educator certification um, and the type of support that uh, alternatively certified teachers really need uh, if they have a fighting chance to be successful in the classroom with our kids. I'm also working on my next book. Uh, I've done some speaking engagements recently i've got a few coming up um, and of course my number one job is being a, a husband and a father i've got a college kid that plays volleyball and i've got a high school kid that plays club volleyball and so when i'm not doing that i'm in the gym somewhere so everyone thank you so much for your time and and we want to thank you for so much uh, that you're doing not only with your family but also the community and the county and the state and the nation as, as a whole. I want to go next to Randy Boom Boom Blake. Sir, I know you got a lot going on too, but what you got going on currently? Uh, yeah, too, I keep it all in a nutshell. Um, I'm kind of on tour right now, just tour simply. Um, doing speaking engagements, um, sharing my story. I'm talking about how to rise above, uh, how to overcome adversity. Um, I'm doing goal goal setting seminars so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in prisons I'm in colleges I'm in the corporate world I'm doing team building exercises I'm also into the bully prevention as well for the, the schools who are interested in that um, yeah I'm also I'm working on my my second solo book so I'm looking forward to maybe finishing that up here within the, the next couple of months maybe or so and um, yeah and then you know I have my home life. I'm a, a father to a beautiful uh, two-year-old, and you know, I'm a husband, and 
you know, so I like to call myself the, the modern day super dad. So, you know, you, I have this world of, I have to be a leader, but I also have to be a leader, you know, at home too. So, and also I still kickbox and I don't have any fights coming up anytime soon right now, but I still stay in shape. So you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I know that's right. Uh, again, the panel tonight is legendary, and you know it's wow. Uh, let, let's go to Sandy Roberts before I get started. You know me; I'm gonna get started. But Sandy Roberts, what you got going on currently? Let's talk about it. Well, let's see. I I have made a couple changes. I accepted a position with a school that serves primarily the Native American population um, here in Arizona, and. I'm having the best time. Uh, so I hadn't been involved in a school setting in the context of being in the school. And so I'm being there. Um, I am their school counselor and their uh, crisis intervention person. And I'm teaching two psychology classes. So, and th this is what uh, the principal, the person who pulled me out of retirement, uh, is someone I had worked with when I was teaching at Phoenix College, and he's just fabulous. And I'm I've been doing this for a month now, and I am having the best time. That um, I I, lo I love saving these kids. Let me tell you. I know that's right, and that, that is so real talk. That is so real talk. And finally, Blake Thornton, Positive Change Agent Pro. What you got going on currently, sir? Well, before I get into me, I want to say that I did uh, see Randy's uh, daughter on social media, and I just can't wait till she's tall enough to kick you in the kneecap. So that, that's something I've, I've been uh, circling around, because I know he's going to teach her that anyway. So uh, <clears throat> what I got doing I'm currently right now, I'm most of the way through writing my fifth book in my Slippery Slope series. We've uh, just completed putting together a program on forgiveness that's going live uh, for both online and in-person events across the country. And we're currently working on two masterminds, one on choice dynamics and one on no more unicorns to be delivering to corporate America. Uh, I do ghostwrite or at least enhance edit people's books and i just am in the process of working with two very incredible women who have overcome extreme adversity and i'm not going to share any details beyond that but every time i put my hand on that part of the world uh it always brings me back to sandy and her years of experience and i just sometimes wish that i had a little bit of that to uh, lean on so uh, she's in my uh, She's in my phone. I do call her, and I will call her. So uh, I think it's time to get this night rolling. Absolutely. And with that being said, I still have not gotten over what happened in Texas last year. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I've tried. I've tried. But I, I, it keeps coming up. It keeps coming up that this one person could be so cruel to go into a school and open fire on innocent babies I, I thought about I thought about my my children what if they were in there and it gives me chills every time I think about it 
every time I think about someone that could take the life of an innocent. And so uh, tonight I'm going to focus a little bit more on the state of Texas. In Texas, there are close to twice as many firearm suicides as there are firearm homicides. This statement was stated in 2011. One in 10 high school students in Texas report attempting suicide. Most of these attempts are with pills. 85% of the youth under 18 who died by firearm suicide used a family member's firearm to do the work. In many states, it is against the law to allow a child under 17 years old to be unsupervised and have access to a loaded gun. Anything you do that puts distance between someone at risk and means of suicide can save a life. We're going to talk about this tonight. We're going to talk about how 24% of persons who attempt suicide indicate less than five minutes elapse between the decision and the action itself to end their life. When someone is at risk for suicide in your home, there are steps to take. There are safety measures to take to depress this, to stop this from happening. And we have experts in the field tonight on this podcast that's going to share some knowledge. But we're just talking. We're just having a conversation. And with that being said, I want to go first to Sandy Roberts. Sandy Roberts, how long have you been in this field working with this topic? Suicide prevention for 30 years. Working primarily with high school and middle school age youth. Um, You know what? I I was looking through an old um, little thing on suicide that I had written and um, I came across this one thing and I, I, w- I want to share it with you guys um, it, it's called emotional flu and that suicide is an emotional flu for reasons unknown some people handle p- painful emotions better than others uh, two people could, came down with regular flu one in fabulous condition the other one not so great condition but the person that wasn't in good condition is the one that survived it's like you never know that and it's you know it's baffling but when you when you think of it as 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 being flu-like and uh, uh, yeah i'm like stumbling over this and that because I, i i just sat down and looked at a couple of papers and said oh my gosh there's my emotional flu little blurb that but if you think about it as a way to even talk about suicide because that's the hardest thing is to get somebody into a conversation and to help them save face for where they are and to help them survive i mean seriously survive and that and when you think about the emotional flu it is you know, we don't know if somebody can get, you know, a hangnail and die from an infection and someone can be on a respirator and, you know, come away from it fine. And so, you know, think about that as a way to talk about suicide and to take the shame away from suicide that, that is, you know, attached to it. And it, I think it opens a door to converse with people in a way that we really hadn't been doing 
in that and you know so boldly um and so i i would love feedback what do you guys no, no, I, I, no, I totally love that. And, and you brought me to, you know, ask a question for the whole panel. So the panel was open. And with that being said, I want to know, based off of the topic for the night, and, and I wish, I, I don't remember hearing topics like this 20, 30 years ago. If, if those topics were out there then, I don't know anything about it as much, uh, especially in especially in the the hood <laughs> especially when i say the hood i'm saying that's african that's african american colloquialism meaning like in the low social economic communities you know these topics mm-hmm. were not discussed and talked about as much and primarily because it really wasn't happening then but because of ptsd i just want to ask the question how does this topic tonight connect with a situation you have actually experienced? I want to go around the, the, the panel and ask the question, do you know someone, maybe Randy, you knew someone that was in you know, UFC or someone that was you know, in, in a fight competition that became suicidal because of, for whatever reason, head injuries, you name it. Dr. Isaac Carrier, I'm sure you have been in a situation where you experienced it. Buddy, I know you have. Sandy Roberts, I know you have. But let's share, I want to share a real story example of how you dealt with that situation if you've experienced it at all. Who, who wants to go first? I'll jump in and then let everybody else follow uh, the curve here. Uh, <clears throat> one of the people who stood up for my wedding Uh, committed suicide about seven years after. Uh, He had gone through some loss. His older brother had committed suicide, and then his sister committed suicide. Their family was in an extreme spiraling uh, antisocial situation where they were cycling through drugs and antisocial behavior. And when they painted themselves into a corner, they decided that they just didn't have anywhere else to go. And, you know, Kubler-Ross's stages of grief have been expanded, but there's two very important things that happen when people do choose to commit suicide. Research shows that they never get to the bargaining stage. For some reason, when they get into the shock and denial of some other loss that triggers their desire to end their life, they immediately jump to the guilt and pain of, why am I still here? And then they get angry and then they cannot, for some reason, get over that barrier to bargaining. Sometimes they skip that and go to depression or loneliness, but they don't want to accept depression or loneliness and they never reach any of the positive aspects at the end of the grief cycle. So somewhere between the guilt and pain and anger, they make that choice. And if there's nobody there, if they don't see one person who could be a potential support, they do what inevitably is going to be done. And it's right now, uh, research shows that it's expanded tremendously over the last 30 years, which I'm sure Sandy could talk about. But part of that is because we've pivoted away from being a pro-social society to being a, a more isolated society. Part of it's been because of the advent of the internet and people have put everybody else at arm's length. So now those natural support systems have been 
watered down, diffused. And so pe more people find that they don't have that support system that they might have had 30, 40 years ago, and that's triggering this increased number of suicides. Uh, would I have done anything I could to save my friend? Absolutely. He was with me in the Navy. We lived through that, but he couldn't live through just normal life. And that's that's my story. It's a true story, and I, uh, I'll pass the torch on to somebody else. I've, I've experienced um, in high school, you know, somebody who we obviously knew took their life, or it was even in middle school, like around eighth, like eighth grade. Um, and I can only imagine, like, why? Obviously, why would they do that? But I think even going back into my childhood, it kind of, I don't want to say it triggers something, but it just kind of makes me think, like, you know, like what, what you said, uh, Isaiah, as far as, like, the hood and, and all that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm from those rough times in, in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was always about being hard, you know, and so... <laughs> For you people who are listening, what hard actually meant was just just shut up and just be tough. It's like, you know, if, if I shoot you in the stomach, essentially don't cry about it, right? And I, I think that stemmed from being a boy. And I can remember there were times where I fell and I was always taught to just suck it up. I was taught to not show emotion. It was almost like showing a sign of weakness. And so, you know, we, we talk about suicide and yeah, I think those things do kind of trigger us later on in life, especially. And so yeah, that's just, that's really my, my take on it. But, um, yeah, I, I think about my daughter. I mean, me being, you know, four or five years old, if I fell, you know, I was, hey, stuck it up. But now it makes me have this emotion of don't show the emotion, you know. But now I look at myself with my daughter, and that's the first thing I do is, oh, baby, are you okay? Oh, baby, are you okay? And I think if you're actually listening to this podcast, and you, you might actually catch yourself in there, you know, at some point in time as far as being a boy or a girl. So, because, you know, like Buddy said, those, 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 those numbers are strategically, uh, staggeringly high on the male side. And maybe these males are doing these things because they just can't express themselves in a way that people will actually appreciate it. That was powerful, sir. Who's, who's next? Sandy Roberts, I know you just wrote a book about about suicide. And as I was as I was reading through your book, I, I saw questions in your book like how does one listen and respond if they are concerned someone may be thinking about suicide and how can they take an information to become more knowledgeable and capable but not be so upset or emotionally triggered when the subject is brought up. And when I read the topics in your book and I read the questions in your book, I, I I was like, if I ever get her on the podcast again, the first question I'm going to ask her is, why did you write that book? What was your why for writing that book? And that's my question. Ms. Sandy Roberts, what is your why for writing a book about suicide? 
Um, <clears throat> my why it has to do with working with teenagers and the, the anguish that they go through, the challenges that they go through. And I, I just didn't want to lose another one. And I've, I've worked with teenagers in school settings and community settings and everything. And it, it just comes up for them so much as, a, as a, you know, as one of the choices and the solution. And I've just, no matter what, I just want them to not do it. I, I want to, I want to normalize not doing it, not normalize doing it, and to have them be able to deal with all the difficult things that one goes through in those teenage years. What else do you want to know? <laughs> no, no, that, no. That, I want to know your why. You told us. I mean, you, you told us your, your why. You told us your why. I, I want to go to Dr. Isaac Carrier really, really quick because he, he he's in school leadership. He's been doing it for years. And what what has been happening with these school shootings, I don't even have to mention the names of all of them, but as a school leader, Dr. Carrier, how are school shootings affecting school leadership in Texas and across the country and the world, what are your thoughts, sir? You know, school shootings have necessitated a, you know, we used to say you got to have a heightened awareness. Like we always had plans and, and everybody was real detailed and you kind of went through the routines of practicing the plans, but everybody knew it was um, a, a practice. Um, and it really matters how you go about that practice. Um, but we, we have definitely moved from a state of heightened awareness to hyper preparedness. Um, because, that, you know, having been a, a school principal for a number of years, um, I mean, there's so much that, that weighs on your mind. Um, and, and safety has always been, you know, at the top of that list. It, you know, the number one responsibility of every school principal anywhere is the maintenance of safety and security of their school, the staff, anyone who visits the campus. And so that is, that's the, the number one objective. Um, you know, I really think it, it, it just has provided another, an additional, not, it doesn't, you know, it's an additional focus that has to be from start to finish from the time you enter the building to the time you leave, uh, you have to be concerned with maintaining uh, maintaining safety. Um, there's a lot, I just left a, a conference, a state conference in Austin uh, last week, and there were so many vendors there with so many new products, um, many of them were great. Um, but I think the really, uh, the, there is no real foolproof uh, way to to prevent something that's that could be inevitable in some places, and so um, you, you just got to be prepared. And part of that preparedness is is to be hyper aware. Um, you have to take every every um, potential tip or uh, any type of of notice. You've got to take those things seriously, and 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 you have to. 
invest investigate those um, instances through exhaustion, right? You have to ensure that um, that you've left no stone unturned in every situation that may arise. Uh, you also have to be ultra sensitive and aware of your kids. Um, you you have to make sure, to the extent possible, that every one of your children understands and knows and believes and feels within themselves that there are people within the school that they can turn to. They've got to know that there's someone that they can turn to um, when it when it comes to contemplating suicide or or worse, uh, if there if that's even possible. But um, you know. To be a school principal in this day and age is just, ooh, to say that it's a stressful job is, is, is such a drastic understatement. Um, coming out of, out of COVID um, and all the things that principals had to deal with and endure during that time, uh, getting caught up, and I'll say it, uh, getting caught up in being basically played directly in the middle of uh, political battles uh, on one side or the other of that issue, um, and main, you know, maintaining focus on main, you know, keeping the school safe and keeping kids in a positive learning environment is is just something that principals across this country and I would say everywhere um, have to be concerned with. Doctor Carrier, before you go, because you brought up something so key, and and why we got your wisdom here as it relates to this topic for tonight. How has and I and I want you to give us the answer based off of your perspective as an overseer. How has the, the teacher retention rates, right? How has the staff shortage? Staff shortage is on an all-time high. Teacher turnover rates all-time high. And so when those students are coming into those buildings, they're supposed to be searched now. They're supposed to be one and the bags are supposed to be searched. But when you have teachers that are not showing up or that have left the job field, the career field, and now those principals are still responsible for getting all those those students checked in and and thoroughly checked in. What kind of pressure has this weighed on the shoulders of administrators uh, across the board, sir? What's your thoughts? Well, let me start with the fact that, and it is a fact, that not every school um, has metal detectors. Not every school wants kids or checks backpacks, and, and that is a fact. Um, and there are reasons for that, uh, and I'll just say this, it, those, those reasons are invalid with me. But it is a fact that not every school does that. Um, when you approach with other schools that, that do conduct the, those procedures every day, um, it does give, uh, you know, it gives everyone, you know, a, a, a greater sense of security. Um, you know, I um, once, when I was, um, the first time I was a principal, you know, I had a great relationship with all of my kids. They trusted me. They looked at me more as a father figure than, than a principal. Um, and they trusted me so much that they would tell me things. <laughs> and thankfully, 
uh, I did, unfortunately, did have a, a student bring a gun to school. Um, and we did use metal detectors, and so uh, the metal detector kept going off. And so finally, um, the young man was asked to step aside. And uh, we had campus resource officers that I was very clear with, um, including the, the campus resource officer as one of our staff. Um, and and so they trusted that young man trusted that police officer. Now. Uh, the police officer brought the young man to me. Uh, we knew he had something, but we didn't know what it was. Um, but because of my relationship with that, that young man, I wish he had talked to me before he made the decision to bring a gun to school. It was it was unloaded. It did not have even a clip. Um, it was more in his mind to scare whoever was picking on him and ultimately bullying him. Um, Campus administrators, to answer your question, um, again, it's a very, um, you know, it can become very routine, right? You, 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 so you have to establish a cadence for how you're going to maintain safety. But if you become uh, predictable in that cadence, you actually um, become part of a, a potentially the problem. Um, so you, you cannot become, you have to be diligent, but you cannot become predictable. Um, and so that's something like, um, you know, it's changing cycles of when you do X, Y, or Z. Um, it is, it is um, sometimes not even announcing when we're going to uh, go into a practice drill. Um, it is setting a cadence for checking doors that should not be accessed either in or out unless it's an emergency. You know, there are uh, a number of things that you know, campus administrators have to be uh, be aware of and be focused on, um, and, all, and, and, and all of those things, <laughs> not many of them have anything to do with teaching and learning. Um, and, and that's the sad part because, um, Randy, to your point, I'm from the hood. I grew up in the hood. I grew up poor, and there was a different mindset back then. Um, to your point, you 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 had to be tough, um, and tough meant not showing, you know, not showing any vulnerability, not not showing um, anyone that you know you're hurt or you you may be bothered. Um, you know, thankfully, we're not we we enter we've entered a space where. Uh, kids are encouraged to speak up. Um, and for us older folk, um, those of us who understand it, uh, it's a great thing. Now, there's still many of us who who subscribe to the old way of thinking, and that is, you, you know, life is tough, and uh, life is sometimes going to deal you a, a bad hand, and you just got to suck it up and, and get through it. Um, as administrators, uh, we cannot afford to take that mindset. Uh, we must uh, we must take every every situation is if it's a life or death type of situation. Doctor Carrier is always wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. I love it. I love it. Let me go to uh, Randy Blake. But before I do, Doctor Carrier, thank you so much for all that you have brought to the podcast and 
the lovely Miss Sandy Roberts, thank you so much for what you have brought to the podcast as well. With that being said, you know, Randy Blake, you're you're so what they call you Boom Boom. Randy Boom Boom Blake, you are so transparent and I, I love it about you as a public speaker and as a professional speaker. But I wanna I wanna kinda ask you a question that's gonna be eh, it's gonna probably be real ugly. Okay. And the question is okay. is suicide is suicide is that a common a common thing in the world of martial arts? Now when I ask this question I'm thinking about the summarize the ninjas and their their under codes and all that. I know you know what I'm talking about here. And 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 what are professionals doing now to help manage those behaviors? Mm, yeah, so you know, I, I hate to even admit this, but it it is very common in the world of martial arts because even at the end of the day, you know, these martial artists are still people. And most martial artists look at it like, you know, I'm I'm basically I'm wearing this costume. At least that's what, what people will see from their perspective so you know as a martial artist um i can say it's very common um there's a guy who even just recently he just committed suicide this is and this is a guy you know rest his soul um i grew up watching this guy and i can speak for the millions of people who he's inspired uh to do martial arts to want to punch and kick things and you know jump and flip and you know be a ranger um jason david frank if you don't know them or know him he was the or one of the original power rangers um you know he committed suicide and he was a martial artist and when i say martial artist like a real martial artist not just i'm just a power ranger just pretending to be somebody and i'm just an actor like he physically mentally spiritually emotionally was invested in the world of martial arts and and when you when you take guys like that, it does make you wonder well why. But we also forget, you know, he's a person too. Um, uh, there was a, a, a young lady, uh, I can't think of her name, but she was an MMA fighter, eighteen years old. You know, took her life. So yeah, it's it's very common. But these martial artists and and fighters, you know we're we're kind of in that category of you know what i just kind of explained is being a young boy being tough you know you're tough you know you take punches for a living you know that's how you get paid you get kicked in the head and you and you and you inflict pain on people so you're not allowed to to think about those types of things and then when it happens then we go whoa like whoa why would he do that he was on top of the world you know Jason David Frank had all this money. He had it, he had it all together. He had a beautiful wife. He had beautiful kids and all this money. But we forget at the end of the day, he is still a person. So, yes, suicide is very common in martial arts. Um, I don't think that it is being helped. I don't think that it is being, you know, that um, people are, are trying to prevent it. Because if they really were, I don't think the numbers would be so high. 
you know, and I, 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 it hurts me to even say that, you know, and I'll say that one more time. I don't think that anyone's really doing much about it, at least in the martial arts community. You know, we talk about it, you know, when it happens, but what are we really doing? And this is why I think podcasts like this is so powerful today, you know, because there are solutions, you know, we can try, but, you know, as a martial artist, I think that it's just not being talked about. So... Wow, you know, it's so much work to do. It's so much work to be done out there. The 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 work is so plentiful, but the laborers are so few. We talked about we talked about a lot tonight. We we're we're almost out of time, but we talked about a lot tonight. And we talked about those those tough neighborhoods. We talked about that tough family life. We talked about those kids that grew up in the hood, like me, that was bullied, that had to, to be honest with you, had to face gangs, had to face gangs, had to face the, the gang community, the gang culture, the, the fight, the fighting, the the colors, all, all that stuff growing up where I grew up. And, and Buddy Thornton, I want to go to you really quick. I know you grew up in a different time period, but those behaviors were still the same. And what would you say, based off of your experience, what would you say to a child who does not have a safe place to share their problems with? What would you tell that child? Well, before I answer the question, I want to I want to add something to what the other three people have already said. <clears throat> Every profession and every high level high stress profession has some aspect of suicide part of the reason in society which will lead to my answer to the question is that people especially in the western hemisphere are locked into competition and so much of their entire psyche is tied to what they do and the image they project. Now, I'm a retired athlete. I know a lot of people in almost every sports field, when they reach that point where they're on the decline and they have to let go, a huge part of their psychology goes down the drain because a whole lot of what they are is invested in those uniforms and in that limelight. So when you have to step outside the limelight, when you get outside the lines, a huge part of what you are goes with you, and it does not manifest in a positive way. And so, yeah, some people can see that coming. They, they almost have a foresight. And when you, when you say something like Randy did about an 18-year-old child committing suicide at the beginning of their career, it's because they're already feeling the pressure of... What else is there beyond what I'm doing? Society has lost the ability to teach people that being, just being, is good enough. So what would you say to a child who doesn't have a safe place to share their problems? Well, I take it to an extreme step. If I don't have a solution in hand that is 
can be provided within the space that that child is in, I must become that option. I need to listen. I need to get down and I need to be on their level and I need to ask them to, to trust me. I need to be their safe space. Every child deserves a safe space. I guarantee a Dr. Carrier lives with this every day, if not, you know, and not, not several times a day when he sees a child who is just struggling and he needs to give them just that little glimpse into their positive future. You know, kids at the age of around 12, they only have two things on their mind, Isaiah. They are looking for an identity. Where do they belong in this universe? Where are they going to be? What are they going to become? And they want to be socially acceptable to their peers and the people around them. So anything that twists that away can lead to microaggressions. It can lead to responses that are improper. They go through a cycle that we call micro grief, where they let their feelings turn into their reality. And of course, how do we pivot away from that? We, we teach them that their feelings are not facts. Their feelings can be addressed. Their feelings are not hard etched in stone. And sometimes you may have to live through some type of a unrealized expectation, but you got to let it go. So you give space to grow a new expectation based on some other new reality. And I always look for a way to find in my listening what that child may see as hope, gratitude, something to cling to. Because as long as they have something to cling to, they're going to cling to it. They're not, they're not a, a giveaway. They're not a throwaway. They're not someone we should just say, well, you know, we win some, we lose some. That's not the way life works. Until we can realize that we can be the one solitary answer. If a child has no other safe place, no other way, no person to talk to, then nothing that you are doing, nothing you are have in front of you can be possibly as important as that child's life. Sandy has made a statement. I would rather visit you in the hospital a hundred times. I would rather walk a hundred miles with you in pain than to attend your funeral. And that has to be the reality. No adult should ever see a child in pain, someone who has no safe place to go to and turn a blind eye. It just isn't acceptable. If we provide hope and we show them how to find gratitude in the living in front of them, we can save a lot of these kids. That's what I would say to a child is, tell me your problem. Trust me. I will not leave you until you are at peace. And then I would back it up with action. Powerful, powerful. You know, everyone has to be in their own lane. When you said that, I thought about, am I doing enough when I have my students that I mentor? Because I give them those words of affirmation. I, I make them repeat after me, say this, I was, I was created, created with a purpose. I am strong, I am resilient, I am courageous. Every fiber in my bone, every fiber in my bones will be and shall be successful. We're out of time, but what are the takeaways for the night? Who wants to go first? 
um, what I would say is that like so many other topics um, of, of the day, this is one that that deserves um, a focus and attention such as what you're providing with this with this particular podcast. Uh, I think that efforts towards suicide prevention and um, social emotional awareness uh, need to continue and expand um, until we get to a point where we um, eradicate the even possibility of suicide. Thank you so much, Dr. Kerry. Who's who's next? Uh, yeah, it was a very powerful podcast. Uh, definitely a takeaway for me is, you know, we're, we're definitely not where we want to be. I mean, we do live in a world of there is no new information. And I like the people who are on this podcast, uh, amazing views and ideas. And I want to say, let's just start with, you know, putting a smile on somebody's face, you know, be the reason somebody smiles. That was so solid. That was so solid. Who's next? Who's next? Uh, <laughs> you know, Sandy's my inspiration. And turn that a little bit sideways, and I see Randy. And I see him looking at his daughter. And I see my four generations at my house, because I'm a great-grandfather. And I see all these vulnerable people. And they're all just one or two hopeless moments away from making a bad decision. And we have to be hyper-vigilant and always understand that if nothing else we do except provide hope and change even one or two of those children's lives, then the inspiration that Sandy has given me and hopefully the inspiration that I've given to people like Randy uh, and the children that I, uh, Dr. Carrier has kept on this earth, you know, it's a never-ending battle. We cannot always say that we want to eradicate something without knowing that it's still going to be an impossible task. Humans are imperfect. We're all imperfect. There's going to be one or two that fall through the cracks. But that doesn't mean that we should not be trying with all of our heart and all of our soul. And that's what I got from the podcast tonight. You know, it, it, it's such an important topic, and it's so important to to continue to be serious about doing something about it. Uh, loss, loss of a teenager, loss of a of a, an adult, loss of a, a person up in my age bracket. Uh, we just have to, we just have to tell people we care about them. We have to show them that life is worth being here, and and that's something that happened that was bad. You know, give me a couple of things that happened that were good, and let's you know, let's let's turn the bad things into the good things. Thank you.